Well, last week, if you were here, we talked about sex. And that was fun. <clears throat> well, this week, we're going to talk about marriage and more sex. Sounds like double the fun. Our study of 1 Corinthians is a gift that kind of just keeps on giving. You know, it, it's a challenging book, and, and as we've been working through it, I wonder why I didn't pick an easier book to preach, like maybe the book of Revelation. But before we dig into what the Apostle Paul has to say about marriage, I, I thought I would share a few valuable lessons that I've learned in the last 37 plus years of being happily married. We are happily married, right? Okay, good. These are lessons for the married men, and they're lessons for men who might want to get married someday. And if you're single, all I can say is God bless you. Many married men know this, but we fail time and time again to do it. There is one surefire way to get the last word in an argument with your wife, and that is to say, yes, dear. But guys, you have to say it like you mean it, even if you don't mean it. My second piece of advice is, guys, never go shopping for dresses with your wife. This will test your patience and your bank account. She's going to spend the same amount of money whether you go with her or not, but if you're not with her there, at least you don't have to feel the pain until it's completely over. There is another danger in going dress shopping with your wife. It happens when she comes out of the dressing room and she asks, does this dress make me look fat? Just smile and tell her she's beautiful. Here's one you might know as well. What is hers is hers, and what is yours is hers. It's all hers. As Job from the Old Testament once said, I came into this world naked, and I will leave it naked. Job was married. And remember, romance begins first thing in the morning. Guys, if you want a little fun in the evening, you'd better be a good husband all day long. The way to be right do you guys, some of us have this desire to always be right, to always win the argument, to, to know that we're right? I think a lot of us guys do, and I know being right 100% of the time is possible, even if you're married. Just agree with your wife 100% of the time. And then if you have the audacity to decide what you're going to wear to a big event like a wedding, be sure to ask your wife what she thinks. If she says you look fine, it's time to find something else to wear. Saying fine is the equivalent to her saying, you can wear that, but I will not stand within 20 feet of you. And then finally, the most important and a very serious lesson is, guys, don't ever forget that your wife is a gift from God. Cherish her. Don't be harsh with her. Tell her you love her, and then show her that love in your actions. It's a game changer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created us male and female. You gave us the gift of Christian marriage between a man and a woman. It's a blessing, but like all blessings, we struggle to make it work. We criticize our spouse. We ignore them. We expect them to serve us. We fail to appreciate that they too were made in your image. And so this morning, Father, we ask that you would forgive us. And may our spouse forgive us as well. Help us as a couple to set an example of Christian marriage for all to see.
And for those who are single, we ask you, Father, to help them understand that they are a blessing to their families and friends. They are a gift from you. Let them cherish their singleness and not see it as a shortcoming. And in all things, may we bring you glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you heard just a, a few minutes ago, as Sarah read from chapter 7 of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, we're going to talk more about things that we've talked about the last couple weeks. Last week, we talked about the cultural acceptance of Corinthian men to visit prostitutes. You see, the Corinthian culture was hedonistic. In other words, they lived to experience pleasure. They would compromise all their morals if it meant more pleasure. And to them, to that culture, sex was good no matter who you did it with and how you did it. And the fact of the matter is, they were clueless. Now some in the Corinthian church supported those beliefs. They went right along with the culture, but others actually went to the far opposite extreme. Those who took the opposite extreme were known as ascetics. Ascetics believed in depriving yourself of physical pleasures. They said it was not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman, even his wife. Sex was bad. Sex was a sign of weakness. Sex was practically a sin. And so Paul, in part of this letter to the church at Corinth, was providing a balanced biblical view of human sexuality. And in doing so, he actually was teaching us about marriage. Now, if you're single or divorced or widowed, know that Paul's words this morning can be applied to those in your life who are perhaps your closest friends and your family. Commentator Stephen Um wrote, that the wrote of the beauties of marriage and the uglies of marriage. And we're going to start with the uglies. Marriage can be ugly. I don't think anyone will argue with that statement, but it doesn't have to be ugly. Comedian Rodney Dangerfield was popular many, many years ago, and he had just a, a few comments on marriage. His first one that I noticed was this. Rodney said, my wife and I were happy for 20 years, and then we met each other. I need the rim thing with the drum. Rodney said, my wife's jealousy is getting ridiculous. The other day, she looked at my calendar and wanted to know who May was. <laughs> Rodney added, he said, we sleep in separate rooms. We have dinner apart. We take separate vacations. You know, we're doing everything we can to keep our marriage together. And then his last one that I pulled, Rodney said, I told my wife the truth. She said, he said, I told her I was seeing a psychiatrist. And then he said, my wife told me the truth. She told me she was seeing a psychiatrist, two plumbers, and a bartender. No more jokes today, I promise. Sadly, though, some marriages feel like a Rodney Dangerfield comedy routine. Paul shared some thoughts on this. In verses 6 and 7, he wrote... Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish all were as I myself am. And in case you didn't know it, Paul was single. And then in verse 8, he added, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that is good for them to remain single as I am. 
Now, it's important as you read this and you hear this that Paul is making these statements as his opinion. He's clear in this. It's his opinion. It's not a command of God because if you look at it, twice he says, I say. See, Paul was sharing what worked for him. He found being single saved him from a lot of troubles and distractions. And we can understand that. Paul was called to be single. In verse 7, Paul indicated that singleness was a gift given to him by God. And singleness can definitely be a blessing. But marriage can be a blessing as well. And God invented marriage, so obviously God thinks that marriage is a good thing too. Later in chapter 7, Paul wrote that married men end up being anxious about worldly things, including how to please their wife. And he said the same thing is true of the women. They get involved in worldly things because they're trying to please their husband. The point was, is when you're married, there are challenges. When you put two sinners in the same household, trouble is inevitable. And when you add kids to it, it only gets worse. And so Paul wanted to spare men and women of these issues. He wanted them to be able to devote themselves totally to God. And that's why Paul, in his opinion, promoted singleness. We've all seen the, the troubles that can happen in a marriage. Men can be harsh. They can be critical of their wife. They expect their wife to behave in a, in a certain way. And yet they're often very blind to their own behavior. Some women marry a man expecting to change him. And often such thinking leads to a rude awakening. We're selfish. We expect our spouse to take care of us. We can be lazy. We can be crabby. I read years ago that the toughest moments in a marriage are the first five to ten minutes immediately after the husband or wife gets home from work. Other people often get the best of us while our spouse gets the leftovers, the worst of us. And sadly, a lot of abuse takes place in some marriages. I've known women who are abused by their husbands, and that makes me furious. It should make all of us furious. Many marriages end in divorce, and that is not what God intended for marriage. And yet, God understands that divorce can be necessary in the cases of abandonment and abuse. See, again, and, and Paul gave his opinion in verse 10 that people should not separate once married. And if they do separate, Paul said they should remain single. But it was his opinion. Many second marriages are the best marriages. And that's because marriage is meant to be beautiful. Marriage is such an amazing thing that God uses the actual image of marriage to describe the relationship between Jesus and us. Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. It's a match that's destined for heaven. And Paul's words in this passage speak to three areas where marriage can truly be beautiful. They are service, commitment, and salvation. Service is actually a great place to start describing a beautiful marriage. A beautiful marriage happens when the husband or wife puts the needs of their spouse ahead of their own. 
In Philippians 2, Paul made it clear that is the way we are all to live. Then in in verses 3 and 4 in our passage, Paul wrote of service in terms of sex. He said that the husband's body is not his own but belongs to his wife, and the wife's body is not her own but belongs to her husband. And and actually what he's given us here is a, a picture of caring for the needs of our spouse. The ascetics, we talked about them earlier, Paul's day said that sex was only for having babies. And that's one person of, purpose of it. But Paul said it's so much more. He wrote that a husband and wife should regularly have sex in order to be holy. In verse 5, he wrote, Do not deprive one another, except by, perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves into prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And those are words in the Bible. And I know some guys are going to be using Paul's words tonight. They're going to say, honey, God wants us to be holy. Let's grow in holiness tonight. But the truth about it is, this sensitive subject, is that in marriage we're to please each other, we're to enjoy each other. But I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, and this applies to the women as well, but I'm going to direct it to the guys. Guys, if you're a jerk, if you're harsh with your wife all day, if you don't treat her the way she'd be treated, you can't expect anything, including kindness from her. You're not caring for her. You're being selfish. And it's going to cost you. C.S. Lewis once wrote, he said, lust is going after the body. Love is going after the whole person. Some husbands lust, but they forget to love. And just so you know, Serving each other goes way beyond the bedroom. Here are some practical service ideas. Lady, your, ladies, your guy needs to know that you respect him. Typically, he desires to be the leader, but some women constantly tear their men down. Let your husband, let your boyfriend, let that guy friend that you know that you're proud of him. Show him affection. Speak highly of him to your friends and to your family. And then men... Take care of your gal's needs. Give her gifts. Sometimes she wants something material, but more often, the best gifts that you can give her are in serving her. Help her with the kids. Surprise her by cleaning the house. Send her out dress shopping. And then don't complain about how much she spends. Build her up instead of criticizing or correcting her. Be gentle toward her. And as I said earlier, remember, she is a gift of God given just to you. She is your princess, and you are her knight in shining armor. Be her hero. A beautiful marriage is also one where commitment is key. Paul said in verse 10 that a wife should not separate from her husband and a husband should not divorce his wife. They are committed to making it work. There's a movie that demonstrates commitment. It was a Christian movie from many years ago, and it was called Fireproof. And if you haven't seen this movie, I would highly recommend it. Now, it might not be up to today's cinematography standards, but the message that it gives is badly needed. Now, I don't want to give away too much in this meeting uh, about this movie, but in the movie, the husband was destroying the marriage. The wife 
because of the husband's behavior, was on the verge of an affair. Divorce was just around the corner. And then a friend gave the husband a wake-up call. And he responded. He realized he was guilty for so much of the trouble that was happening in his marriage. And he changed his ways and he gave his life to Jesus. And then he made a commitment. He made a commitment to loving his wife no matter what. He was going to love her. He was going to serve her. He was going to love her even if she didn't love him back. And he was not going to stop loving her ever. He was committed to his wife. You know, every marriage has its ups and its downs, and some of those downs are unbearable. In, in a beautiful marriage, both husband and wife are committed to never letting anything or anyone ruin their marriage. They simply refuse to let it happen. And then the last blessing of a beautiful marriage is salvation. Paul wrote in verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Paul here, though, was not saying that marrying a Christian automatically saves an unbeliever. In fact, if you're a Christian marrying a non-believer, that's not recommended in the Bible. Paul, though, was saying there are times when the marriage leads to the unbelieving spouse accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if you're married to someone who is not a Christian, love him, love her, and live out your faith before them. Now you can't force them to trust in Jesus, but your actions are a testimony to what you believe, to your faith. Paul said that a Christian should stay married to their unbelieving spouse because they don't know whether or not they will save him. Now we've got to be really clear here. Jesus is the only way to be saved from the punishment our sins deserves, but a loving Christian spouse can be used by God to bring their husband or wife to the faith. And I've got to tell you, I've witnessed this, and when I've witnessed it, it's truly beautiful. It takes time and patience and love and faith. But God can make a way. If you want a beautiful marriage, or if you want just great, strong relationships, look to Jesus Christ. When I do my premarital counseling with a couple about to get married, every one of those couples, I tell them that the best marriages have Christ at the center. That's because Jesus is our example. He is Lord and Savior, yet Jesus came to serve and give his life as a ransom. Jesus cared for the sick, the demon-possessed, the hurting, the lost. Jesus brought healing. Sometimes it was physical healing, but it was always spiritual healing to those who, accept, who would accept him. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He wept with a good friend who died and then raised him from the dead. And if you think about it, Jesus really had no place to call home during his ministry years. He came to earth at a time when it was much more difficult to live than it is today. But he came. He came to serve. And Jesus was committed to us. The Bible tells us that while we were still stuck in the muck of our sin, Jesus died for us. 
He asked his heavenly Father to forgive the very people who had nailed him to the cross. Jesus loves you through the good times. He loves you through the bad times. He said he would never leave you. And Jesus, though, won't force you to trust in, you, to trust in him. He stands at the door of your heart and knocks. And if you invite him in, he will give you salvation. He will give you eternal life today and forever. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to heaven. Salvation comes through Christ alone. And it's a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't repay it. But you can respond to it. You can respond, if you're married, by being the best husband or wife that you can be. You can love your spouse like Christ loved the church. If you're single, you can prepare your heart for perhaps getting married one day and take the right approach to that. But even if you don't get married or remarried, you can use Christ's example to love the people around you. Our marriages are to reflect the service and commitment and love that Jesus has for us, his children. And when Jesus is at the center of your marriage, it will be beautiful. And he can keep you together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again this morning talked about a, a subject that we, we don't normally talk about in church, and it makes us uncomfortable, but it shouldn't. You made us men and women. You caused an attraction between us. You gave us sex as a gift to be enjoyed in marriage. And you taught us how to live. This morning, though, God, we come to you confessing that in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families, we don't always follow your son's example. We let our selfishness, our pride, our greed, our harshness, whatever it is, we let that damage our marriage or damage our friendships or damage the relationships within our family. And so be with us this morning. Forgive us. Teach us how to love. And lift us up when we fall short. We pray this morning, saying the words often called the Lord's Prayer, saying them together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, I'd ask that you stand as our worship team comes forward to lead us in our closing song.